First and foremost, I want to uh, thank the community for the invitation to come back and to see so many familiar faces. Uh, it was a huge blessing, alhamdulillah, to have grown up in this community from uh, as far back as I can remember until my family and I, we moved to Sacramento back in 2016. But subhanAllah, it's, this is my first time back. It's a huge blessing to be back. I'm, I'm very thankful for the opportunity uh, to be here at Jum'ah now and then also the youth event for tomorrow. Uh, may Allah bless all of you for being here. May Allah reward all of you for carving out time on a Friday evening to come to the masjid in general, to the house of Allah. And then we hope and we pray that this reminder is beneficial for all of us. Bismillah. Uh, earlier today, during so I had two khutbas, the first one here uh, at MCA and then the 131 at Masjid al-Nur and it was basically the, the same topic, there were uh, two different uh, crowds essentially the, the topic was one that is not explicitly related to this topic tonight but I, uh, I have the intention of connecting them and I'll explain how in a moment the topic earlier during Jum'ah was about Surah Al-Duha and how Allah Azza wa Jal uh, the first thing he does is he comforts the heart of the Prophet and as we know this surah specifically is a kind of like a Quranic antidepressant if you will when the Prophet was feeling down because there was a, a gap in the period of revelation Allah revealed Surah Al-Duha and this uplifted the heart of the Prophet and it's, it's very common nowadays and just over the years if someone is feeling down and if they if they were to think and reflect, okay, which surah should I spend time with? Of course, there are many parts of the Qur'an that there's so much benefit that can be derived from, especially in connection with feeling down. It could be Surah Yusuf, it could be Surah Fatiha, there are different options. But this surah specifically is very, the whole thing is is pure optimism. So very briefly to, uh, to summarize, you know, to offer a synopsis of that, that surah has four main parts. The first one, Allah comforts the heart of the Prophet in the present, alayhi uh, Allah swears by the morning light, Allah swears by the night when it's still, Your Lord is not upset with you, He has not forsaken you. So that's regarding the present, so that's what Allah focused on. And then after that, Allah focused on the future. Things are going to get better. So it shifted from the present to the future and then Allah goes to the past and Allah says, didn't we find you as an orphan and we helped you? Didn't we find you seeking and we guided you? Didn't we find you uh, struggling financially? Didn't we find you poor and we enriched you? So that's regarding the past. There were challenges A, B, and C. And then Allah shifts back to the present and Allah gives the Prophet ﷺ, and this is of course relevant for us as well, three action items a, B, and C that mirror, that mimic the the three things that Allah reminded the Prophet of. You struggled with A, and we helped you. B, we helped you. C, we helped you. So now, Allah shifts back to the present. If you find someone struggling with A now, how you struggled as an orphan. So now, if you find an orphan struggling, then help them. If you find someone, you know, asking questions about Deen, then try to answer them and help them. Uh, so that's the connection between B and B. And then for C. Didn't we find you, you know, poor and we enriched you? Then that connects with C, gratitude for the blessings that Allah has given us. I want to tie that in with the topic tonight 
of investing in our youth, uh, the importance of that, there's so many challenges uh, that our youth are going through across the board, all different ages of youth, however you may want to understand that term, but especially, specifically those in high school and college. Yes, before that as well, yes, after that as well, but especially that range, why do I mention that specifically? Because that's especially the time when so many youth have so many questions, so many like very foundational questions. How do we know God exists? How do we know Islam is the right religion? If every religion claims that it's the right religion, how do we know Prophet Muhammad was indeed a Prophet There are issues related to a thousand different types of addictions out there. There are so many challenges. And on top of that, you have social media. You have, there are so many challenges. And there are so many, uh, there are so many youth who are leaving Islam altogether, as well as all of these other challenges. So at times, it can be hard to have hope. It can be hard to be optimistic. Things can feel very dark and very bleak. And that's how I want to tie Surah Al-Duha with the topic. Yes, there are a lot of challenges that our youth are facing. There are so many struggles that they're dealing with and we ask Allah to make things easy for them. We should still have hope. The surah reminds us that yes, things can get better. Even if things feel uh, very difficult, even if things feel very challenging, the surah reminds us in general, in our lives specifically and generally speaking, in this case, I want to relate it to the youth, things can get better, things can improve. I want to tie in that surah with the concept and I want to I want to start with specifically mentioning uh, two examples that relate to the importance of investing in our youth, the importance of caring for our youth. There has to be an understanding in any and every Muslim community across the globe, but since we're in America, I'll focus on here. We should start with our locality first. There has to be a norm for any and every community not thinking of the youth as an afterthought, but really prioritizing them and putting them in the forefront, investing in them, empowering them, encouraging them. And this is not a foreign thing in our tradition. When you look in Islamic history, you find one example after another, straight from the Quran and Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that tie in with the importance of caring for the youth, the, the, the deep importance and care that we should have now as it relates to the next generation. The majority of our deen is more about prevention than it is about cure. It's more about prevention than it is about cure. So we should think eight, nine, ten, a hundred steps ahead. How can we prevent our youth from falling into atheism? How can we prevent our youth from falling into any addiction that's out there? How can we try to prevent this identity crisis? How can we prevent them from leaving Islam? How can we prevent them from abandoning the masjid? We need to take an active role as it relates to this. We need to think to ourselves, here and now, within each and every one of us as individuals, what can I do to help the youth? What can I do to, whether it's giving time, giving effort, giving money, resources, whatever it may be, if that's at the forefront for a community, then we know there are a thousand issues now, but what we want to do is learn from them. How can we try? We have to at least try. It may seem impossible. We have to at least try to do what we can to prepare the youth of 
tomorrow today. We can't wait until tomorrow. We can't delay. We can't. You don't want to wait until you know so many youth are leaving Islam, and then we figure out okay, how can we bring them back? No doubt, there's a need for the cure. Absolutely. But all of these different issues that I just mentioned, and others that I have not mentioned yet, they can be prevented. They can be prevented. I mean, 10, 11 years ago, I used to be the youth coordinator for MCA, for this community. I grew up in this community. I used to run around, you know, as a kid in Masjid al-Nur when that was the original MCA before this building was purchased in the mid-90s. And when, when Granada, you know, started in the school, I was in pre-K at that time. So my point is that I was born and raised here. I'm very familiar with this community specifically and just the challenges between here, Sacramento, East Coast, Midwest, they're very, very, very similar challenges. There are going to be unique nuances in each area, but overall, the vast majority of these issues are pretty much the same and they can be prevented. Step one, we have to make the intention. We have to make the intention that, okay, we need to recognize, yes, this is an issue, and then let's put together different plans. It could be something small. Never underestimate the power of even a small contribution, but at least make that contribution. Don't sit on the side. Don't be idle. Because here's the thing. One of the wisest things that a person can do as a parent, as a parent, I have kids myself. We ask Allah to protect all of our kids and coming generations always. One of the best things, and this comes directly from our Prophet one of the best things that we can do as it relates to both prevention and cure, regarding the guidance, regarding just the, the, the goodness that we hope for our kids, one of the best things that we can do to help other people's kids. If you want Allah to help your kids, then look at what you can do to help other people's kids. If, if you're struggling with your teenager and you want Allah to help you, look at what you can do to help other people's teenagers. If someone has a, a, a family member, for example, struggling with addiction and you're doing everything that you can to try to help them, one of the key things you can do to look at how can you help other people also struggling with addiction, for example. It may seem impossible, but there are cases that I know of personally, and I'm sure you, you guys do as well, of youth leaving Islam, but then coming back, struggling with addiction, and then becoming sober and helping other people to get sober as well. Struggling with something and then hopefully by the grace of Allah, things take a positive turn for the better and then they end up giving back. So if you're in that situation and it seems like it's, it's impossible, it seems like there's this brick wall and they don't want to listen or things are not changing, take a step back, remember Surah Al-Duha, as bleak as things may seem, the surah reminds us in each and every one of our lives, things can get better. They can. Because of what we believe about Allah. We believe Allah is the one who made iron soft, literally for Dawood. If Allah can make iron soft for Dawood, Allah can help us as a community to work on the different challenges that we're facing. If Allah can part the sea for Musa and his people and make the ground dry and help them to make it to the other side and to cause Fir'aun and his army to drown all within moments of each other, that's the same God who we're asking here and now to protect our youth, to guide our youth, to, to, to help us and to help them and to help them through us. And yes, maybe even to help us through them. It's the same God we're calling upon. 
The same one who healed Prophet Ayyub, the same one who returned his children to him and gave him more than what he had before that, Allah gave him more than what he had lost. Allah improved his health. Allah, you know, Allah improved his situation, even financially, so on and so forth. That's the same God who we're calling upon and we're asking both for prevention and for cure. A lot of the time it's a mixed bag. So I just want to preface things with that. I want to move on to two specific examples that tie in with the, the, the deep care that all of us should have for the youth in general. The first, actually three examples, not two. The first example that I want to mention has to do with a person we're reminded of constantly, constantly, constantly. And this includes in every prayer, in every namaz. At the end of our prayer, what do we say? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. And then what? Kama salaita ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim. The first example ties in with the Prophet Ibrahim. And I hope we can reflect on this and let it permeate our hearts and, and our thoughts so that maybe during Aisha, may Allah accept all of our prayers, when we're saying that to reflect that in his heart, in his heart, this was something that he deeply cared about. You could say as priority one, more than anything else. What is that? It relates to the youth. In Surah Al-Baqarah, this is towards the end of Juz 1 or Para 1, Allah Azza wa Jal tells Prophet Ibrahim, and this is later in his life. So this is after he's passed so many challenges, so many tests. Allah mentions at this point that Prophet Ibrahim had been tested and tested and tested and tested. He literally survives fire. Allah makes it cold and peaceful for him. He literally, uh, uh, he, he goes through the test with, with his son, with Ismail alayhi salam. That was a test for both of them. So he's being tested constantly, constantly, constantly. And Allah tells him, so this is at that point. So I, I, I want us to remember not just who it is, but at what point in time, this is much later in his life. And Allah Himself says that He had already passed all of His exams, basically. Allah mentions after that, in the same ayah, إِنِّي جَاعِلُكَ لِلنَّاسِ what? Imama. Imagine, God Himself is telling Abraham, is telling Prophet Ibrahim salam, I have made you, so he's passed all his tests, now he's board certified by Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah is telling him, I am, and there's no doubt regarding this, I am making you as an imam, as a leader for all of mankind. Inni ja'iluka linnasi imama. I mean, this is literally a historical promotion in all of human history. Allah is telling him, now this is your rank. I am making you, I have handpicked you to be an imam for all of mankind. Not just your family, not just your locality, for all of mankind. For everyone. And until now, what do we say? Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim. Look at his response. He's passed one test after another, after another, after another. And Allah tells him, you're, get, you're getting your certification now. I am making you an imam for all of mankind. Look at his response. His immediate response coming straight from the heart. 
What about my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids? What about my progeny? He didn't, ju- he didn't limit it to one generation. What about these coming generations with an S, plural? Qala wa min Subhanallah, imagine this scene. Allah just told him, you are an imam for all of mankind. His immediate response, what about the youth? First thing out of his mouth, what about them? This consumes him. This is priority one for him. He's told, uh, Allah didn't tell him that you and from your offspring and you know, Sayyidina Muhammad is going to come from your progeny through Ismail and through Ishaq. You're going to have Yaqub and Yusuf and Bani Israel and Musa and Isa and Sulaiman and Dawood. And his immediate response, he's told individually, Inni ja'iluka, singular. لِلنَّاسِ imama. This is the first example that I want to mention. Priority one. It has to be at the forefront. It's not, it's not supposed to be an afterthought. It's not supposed to be you know, something kind of at the bottom of the priority list. From our father Ibrahim, as part of the adhkar, وَعَلَى مِلَّةِ أَبِينَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا مُسْلِمًا وَمَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ We're reminded of this figure, this incredibly impactful person, over and over and over and over, multiple, multiple, multiple times every day and every night. What was his response? What about the youth? What about my progeny? What about my kids? Without a second thought. The second example of the three that I want to move on to, I'm going to shift from a male example now to a female example. When you look at the end of Surah Al-Ahqaf, Allah tells Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَاصْبِرْ كَمَا صَبَرَ أُلُو الْعَزْمِ مِنَ الرُّسُلِ وَلَا تَسْتَعْجِلْ لَهُمْ Allah mentions here the ulul azm. Allah mentions the, the messengers of great resolve. And our scholars have mentioned that these are five. You have Prophet Nuh, Noah, Prophet Ibrahim, Prophet Musa, Prophet Isa, and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon them all. I want to rewind because whenever you find anything significant in the Quran it could be a dua it could be a story it's always beneficial food for thought to take a step back and reflect what's mentioned before it what's also mentioned after it and how can I benefit from that so I don't just want to focus on Prophet Isa I want to rewind before that and I want to look at surah number 3 briefly which is named after the family of Imran his Grandfather, he passed away before Sayyidah Maryam was born. So Sayyidah Maryam was born as an orphan. When her mother was pregnant with her, this is pre-ultrasound, this is pre- she didn't know the gender. Her intention was she wanted to have a boy for the reason of, within their tradition, boys were typically the ones who would serve the Bayt al-Maqdis, Masjid al-Aqsa, who would serve the deen, basically. So she has, look at the power of intention, look at the power of the intention of a mother. At this point, perhaps even a single mother, because at some point during the pregnancy, Imran passes away. Her promise to Allah is that this baby in my womb is going to be dedicated to you, is going to be dedicated to your service. So accept it from me. You are the all-hearing, you are the all-knowing. 
Look at what happens after this. فَلَمَّا وَضَعَتْهَا قَالَتْ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَضَعْتُهَا أُنْثَى وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا وَضَعَتْ وَلَيْسَ الذَّكَرُكَ الْأُنْثَى Subhanallah, like every, every word just builds and builds and builds in, in this story specifically. In general, especially in this story. So she delivers the baby. Allah is walking us through this step by step. She delivers the baby. And she says, Oh Allah, I've delivered a girl. Allah knows. Allah knows what you delivered. And the male is not like the female. And then you look at what's mentioned after this. And I have named her Maryam. She just had a baby. Imagine this mother who's completely exhausted from delivering this child. Imagine her holding this child and look at what she says next. And then what? Subhanallah, this like I hope we can take a step back and really appreciate what is happening in this moment. She just delivers, this woman just delivers a baby. And she's asking Allah. She's asking Allah to protect this baby and any children to come from this baby. So to protect this baby and her future potential offspring for generations to come potentially from shaitan. What's so momentous about this? She's holding a baby saying, Ya Allah, protect the potential future children of this baby. So it's not just limited to the next generation. Oh Allah, protect this baby. That would have been enough. That's a beautiful dua to make. But look at the depth of her righteousness and her perception. The first example, Jazakallah khair. Thank you, Bilal Bai. May Allah reward you. Barakallahu feek. The response of Sayyidina Ibrahim, this incredible man in human history, it was not just that there was such deep care about the next generation, but generations to come. What was the immediate response of the mother of Maryam, of the Maryam, the one woman mentioned time and time and time again in the Quran, is Sayyidina Maryam. She delivers this baby, and she's not just concerned for that baby. So now, what should you and I learn from this? It's not just having deep concern for the next generation, which there should be. That, that's non-negotiable. It should also be non-negotiable and become non-negotiable if it's not already, not just regarding them, but all the future potential generations to come. That should be the mindset. That should, okay, what's going to be good for the youth of today and tomorrow and after that and after that and after that? I wouldn't be here if my elders had not laid the groundwork. May Allah bless them, reward them, and accept from all of them. For us, we wouldn't be here if our parents and grandparents, if they didn't put in so much work that we now benefit from. It doesn't stop here regarding this community and otherwise, but we have to think very seriously and deeply. On one hand, for the issues that are happening now, and unfortunately there are many, how can we try... We always have to try. How can we try to stop the bleeding? Imagine someone if they go to the, the ER 
and they have some kind of gunshot wound, and there's a lot of blood. They're losing a lot of blood. Imagine they show up, and they're told that you're bleeding too much. We're not going to help you here. What's the point in the hospital? Imagine someone is sick, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I'm not going to help you because you're sick. That's the whole point of the doctor. That's how our masajid should be. Our masajid should be, in terms of the ethos, should be comparable to a hospital. Take a step back, think about that for a second. So if you see a brother coming to the masjid, and he has gold earrings, purple hair, he has gold chains, he has tattoos, how are you going to speak with this person? Are you going to speak with them compassionately? Are you going to speak with them with wisdom? Because if you don't know their name, if you don't know their story, if you don't know what they're going through, if you don't know they're about to get evicted tomorrow, none of these other things matter. You don't even know if they're Muslim or not. So there, there has to be this understanding that whoever this person is, whoever we are, when we're going to the masjid, we're seeking healing. Our youth and otherwise, but especially our youth. So if, let's say, a teenager, maybe they're 19, another one, subhanAllah, this is water, mashallah, can I shake your hand? What's your name? Yasin. Hmm? Yasin. Yasin. May Allah bless your heart always, mashallah. <laughs> this, I don't know if this was designed or not, but may Allah bless these wonderful youth who <laughs> brought up chai, mashallah, and water, mashallah. May Allah bless them and protect them and, and protect their potential progeny until the end of time. The response, going back to the story, the response of the mother of Maryam is one of deep care. And how did Allah Azza wa respond to that dua? Sayyidah Maryam, one of the greatest women ever. For sure the greatest woman of her time. And then she ends up giving birth, you could say, to the son who her mom originally wanted. Allah just delayed it by one generation and put one of the most important female figures ever in human history. SubhanAllah, she wanted one thing, Allah gave her two. She wanted one thing, Allah gave her two. She wanted initially a boy, Allah gave her a girl. She wanted one thing, you could say Allah gave her the exact opposite of what she wanted, but there was this long-term plan, there was this long-term wisdom that Allah was making happen over time. And who was that son who Sayyidina Maryam, who she gave birth to? Prophet Isa alayhi salam, Jesus himself, peace be upon him. SubhanAllah, look at, and she was, Sayyidina Maryam was protected when she was born, and Sayyidina Isa was protected when he was born and through their lives. The specific point that's very clear from the first story of Prophet Ibrahim, the deep concern for the youth of today and tomorrow and after that and after that the same thing from the mother of Sayyidah Maryam the, the third example that I want to give also ties in with both of these figures he's descended from Prophet Ibrahim and he's also connected to Sayyidah Maryam and this reference this story is actually found in Surah Maryam at the beginning especially, this is none other than Prophet Zakaria By this point, he's pretty high up in age, his wife is pretty high up in age, past, you would assume, their childbearing years. But look at his concern. 
He's, he feels so much concern for the youth. He feels so much concern for the next generation. And you find this, the, the, the first passage of Surah Maryam is, is dedicated to his story. And within that, He's this beautiful passage. He's talking to Allah. He's turning to Allah. He's asking for Allah. He's talking to Allah. He's just, he's pouring out whatever's in his heart. And he mentions specifically that I am so afraid. This is an intimate dua with Allah Azza wa Jal. And what is he so deeply concerned about? What is consuming him completely? The next generation. I am so deeply afraid for the next generation. He was so deeply concerned. And you look at this passage and he asks Allah, So give me this incredible gift. So it's not just that he has this deep care for the next generation. He's even asking Allah, not just for someone to help them, to guide them, to benefit them, to steer them, you could say. He's even saying, I'm willing to take that responsibility upon my shoulders. I don't just want someone to guide them, which is true, but ya Allah, if it comes down to it, I'm even willing. If you're, if you're willing to bless us, then we're willing to put in the work and the effort and the time to raise this child ourselves. So he's asking Allah, which seemed impossible, but there's a secret here. For any of us here, if we're struggling with anything, this is in general, if we're struggling with anything, one of the best things that we can glean from this story, that we can extrapolate from this story, they're going to always be, with Allah Azza wa Jal, secrets that Allah hides as it relates to us putting in time, effort, money, you name it, Specifically for believing youth. If we do that, Allah will make amazing things happen for us and for them, hopefully through us. Think about it. It seemed impossible for Zakaria and his wife to have a child. Nowadays, you know, physically and scientifically, it's, you know, your wife is barren and you can't have children and you're this age and she's that age and, you know, it's going to be impossible and, you know, why even try and this and that, this and that. At the end of the day, Allah's in charge. If Allah decides something, it's going to happen. And you find a dua from Prophet Zakaria in Surah Anbiya. Rabbi la tadarni fardan wa anta khayrul warithin. Asking Allah basically for a child. Look at how Allah Azza wa Jal responded. What is his primary care? He's concerned about the youth. He's concerned about the next generation. So he asks Allah for something that seemed impossible, but the secret is in his niyyah, is in his intention. He's asking Allah for something that seems impossible because he wants to help the youth of his time, we would say the Muslim youth of his time. And Allah made even more happen than what he asked Allah for. This is absolutely incredible. So if anyone is struggling, it could be related to other things. If you're struggling with work, if you're struggling with school, if you're struggling with anything in life and you want Allah to help you, if someone is looking you know, to, to, to get married and they're in their 30s and their family's getting on their case and giving them a hard time and how come you're not married yet as if they're not already trying and as if they're not doing what they can, 
one of the best things that they can do, they're looking for that, you know, compatible match and that right person. Through helping, it could be youth of any age. Maybe they volunteer at a local Islamic school. Maybe they volunteer to help a youth group. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a quarter. Anything. Maybe they really don't have the time they wish. They would if they could. They don't have it. But maybe they can allocate a donation, some money, some resources, whatever. Just anything. Through helping Muslim youth. Period. Especially in connection with their identity. Especially in connection with wanting to help them to do good. Then Allah will help you in that area. Even if they seem unrelated, it's the same God. So by helping these youth for the sake of Allah, He's the same one you're asking to help you with whatever challenge, whatever situation, and He will help you inshaAllah. But we have to do our part first. And if we do that, then Allah, what do we know? When you walk towards Allah, then Allah runs towards you. You do what you can, even if it's something small, and Allah will help you so much more in return. What was Prophet Zakariya asking Allah for? Asking Allah for a child. Something that seemed impossible. Allah not only gave him a child, Sayyidan wa Hasuran wa Nabiya min salihin Just to have a child was miraculous. On top of that, Allah says in Surah Ali Imran that He's going to be not, you're not just having any child, He's going to be historically phenomenally amazing. Prophet Yahya in English would be translated as John the Baptist. So Allah gave him a child, Allah gave him a son. Allah made him righteous, Allah made him a prophet, Allah protected him, Allah protected his chastity. Just to have a child was miraculous enough and Allah gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. And the secret is found in the intention of his parents, the intention of Prophet Zakaria I, I, I do want to open, open it up to see if anyone has any questions? I kind of I wanted to mention this first, and then if anyone, if there are no questions, that's fine. But if anyone has any reflections, any uh, any comments, any questions, then uh, you know that would be appreciated because we can all learn from each other. Uh, right now, it's about nine o'clock. I know Aisha is at nine thirty. So if we were to take maybe fifteen, maybe twenty minutes, you know, it's kind of in your guys' hands. Um, but I would appreciate if anyone was willing to ask questions. I've been may Allah accept it from all of us. Um, I've been serving as an imam since 2013 I've been teaching since 2012 And I've been working with youth since 2011 May Allah accept it from all of us So what I only mention that to, May Allah accept it My mom has been serving the community for over 30 years May Allah bless her and, and accept it from her And, and uh, bless all of, our, all of our parents Especially our mothers For the, the, the time and effort that they put in I only mention that because whatever challenges that are out there, my boots are on the ground and I'm very aware firsthand of the different challenges that our youth are going through related to things that I've mentioned as well as depression, anxiety, PTSD, suicide, so on and so forth. I know these are some heavy topics, but my point is uh, I'm not speaking from a place of theory alone, but theory coupled with, um, with experience. The last thing I'll mention before, I just wanted to plant that seed, so think about it if you have any questions, any comments, reflections that you want to share. The, the last thing, uh, mashallah, it's good to see you, it's good to see everyone here. Uh, the last thing I'll mention, what does Allah say regarding Yahya, alayhi salam? Allah mentions it in Surah Maryam, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا 
that he was so soft and gentle and kind with his parents. He wasn't tyrannical with his parents. He wasn't, especially as a teenager, he wasn't difficult, he, which is clearly the exception. Even if that seems impossible, ask Allah over and over and over. And for the youth who are here, especially if you happen to be teenagers, please understand that by you trying your best to be good with your parents, Allah will make more amazing things happen for you, not only regarding akhirah, including dunya, more than you could have ever imagined. There's a secret within the hearts of the youth, if you're willing, during those teenage years, especially those headache years, if you can manage to follow in the footsteps of Yahya and try to do good things that's other than what's typically the norm, then Allah will help you in more ways than you could have ever imagined. Yes, we can we can move on now. Yes, sir, you raise your hand. Okay, very good question. So I'll reiterate it for those who may not have heard. Uh, the beloved uncle, may Allah bless you and, and your family always, um, he was asking about what are, what are some things that I've seen or maybe have done that has worked in terms of connecting with youth or getting through to youth who may not necessarily be connected to the masjid? Is this the, the gist of it? Very good question. And I would argue this is something that really needs to become the norm uh, in Masajid across North America, if it's not already, for that, you have different layers, right? You have youth, the, the tiny percentage who may be in the Masjid consistently, and then those who come sometimes, those who may come less frequently, those who may not come at all, especially, and the majority are going to be more on the fringes. For that, the what I've seen, what, I, what I've noticed uh, and experienced is it's best to meet them where they're at. Meaning, what are they into that's fun outside of the masjid? So if they're really into, I'll give the example of basketball. How can we make that happen there? If they're into specific types of food or boba or what, just to have fun events where on purpose, because I know when I was a teenager, if there was something like that and there was a talk, I wouldn't have gone. But if it's that and it's only purely that, I think that would be uh, the most effective place to start, whatever it is. And it can be switched up. It can be bowling. It can be, uh, what is it, uh, golf, the driving range, whatever. And the only way that we can learn what they're into is by asking them and asking their friends and asking, hey, what do you guys do for fun? We may guess, but it's best to make an informed decision. Hey, what do you guys do for fun? What's popular among you guys? And they may say, oh, this and this and this. Okay, so how can we... And usually there's some youth that are kind of a bridge that may be connected to the message but still connected with youth who may not come as often. So that would be an absolutely golden resource to ask them, hey, what do you guys recommend? What would, what would you uh, encourage? And then to do that with no dars, with no khatara, with no reminder, with no talk, with no Qur'an, with no hadith. The only thing that should be included in those types of, of events, when it's time to pray, whoever chooses to go pray, they go and pray together with no pressure for the other youth. They just say, hey, we're going to go pray, you know, we'll, we'll be back in 10 minutes. 
is completely relaxed. It, there's no pressure. There's no expectation. And just by casually mentioning, hey, you know, you guys can continue hanging out here if you want. We're just, we're going to go pray. We'll, we'll be back in like 10 minutes. And you leave them. They go. They pray. Some youth who are there who may not pray, who may not know how to pray, but they feel comfortable there. That's a massive accomplishment. And then just by rubbing elbows with them, just by being around them, you know, being around the, being around the right friends and, and the, the right youth, especially if they feel like they have a sense of humor, they can relate to them, they can talk to them, and they're not going to feel judged, they're going to feel kindness, compassion, and mercy, then some of them, they may get up and say, hey, can I go with you? On their own. And that's the goal. Nothing forced on their own. Maybe they don't go, but they just casually observe that, you know, okay, they're going, they're going to pray, they come back. It may not be until the 10th event when one of them opens up very privately to one of their friends there, hey, and they could be, I'll just say 16 or 17, they may open up and say, hey, I actually never learned how to make wudu or how to pray, but I trust you and I trust you're not going to judge me. Can you teach me? Like just one-on-one, you know, uh, the next time I'm at your house, can you just show me how to make wudu? Through that, through that organic event, through those, you know, fun activities, recreational activities, whatever it is they're into, and I would also highly encourage, if possible, for any community to sponsor those events. So, hey, if all the youth are into boba, for the masjid to, to basically to cover the cost of it, because you want to have no barriers whatsoever. There may be youth who are on the fringes who are interested. They may want to hang out with other Muslim youth. They may be interested in going there, but they may have an economic challenge. Maybe they're going through hard times and they don't have a ride to get there. They don't have the five bucks to pay for boba. They're going through a difficult time. So the idea would be how to facilitate it as much as possible. If, if people need rides, hey, reach out to us through Instagram. We're coordinating that. Um, if, you know, the, the cost is going to be paid, you know, so for, uh, you know, for whoever wants to show up, then, you know, it, it's on us. That's one of, that's beneficial in two ways. One, it's, you're, you're, fiscally, you're covering the economic cost of it, but the greater benefit to come from that. It's showing those youth who are there, especially those who may be struggling on the fringes. They may have left Islam, but hey, they're still friends with so-and-so who they've known since childhood, so they're willing to hang out with them. For them, it may not be an issue of the money per se, but they see a masjid being generous, covering the cost for all of these youth, because this is so important, they're willing to cover the entire cost, that hey, their, their heart hopefully will be touched by the generosity of the ummah. So for them, they may, they may have a hundred bucks in their pocket, but there's something extra sweet about that courtesy, about the cost being covered by Muslims, by sincere Muslims, by practicing Muslims, uh, by, by the masjid. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And then maybe one time it's boba, one time it's whatever pizza shop, one time it's wherever. By facilitating that and paying for that, maybe one day there can be an event at a Warriors game, at a Sharks game, at a Niners game, whatever, by putting money into that, I think that's really an absolutely golden investment with Allah primarily and within the community. Because through that, those youth who may be struggling, they may have left Islam, they may, 
I'm, in their minds, they may never go to Jum'ah. They may have no interest whatsoever. They may, people have a lot of trauma. People may have bad experiences as it relates to abuse from a Qur'an teacher, from the masjid. Maybe they came to the masjid one time and uh, you know, a young man wasn't wearing a kufi and then there were different elders that gave him a hard time and were extremely rough with him. And so he walks away feeling that, man, I, I don't want to go back there. You know, that's how they treated me, which is anti-prophetic. Sometimes we're the best at undoing our own da'wah, and we show them the exact opposite of the sunnah. So there has to be wisdom on different levels, especially through that generosity. I think the sky is the limit. They're, because that you're meeting them where they are, and then they start connecting with other Muslim youth who they get along with and they love, they enjoy their company. And then there's no pressure. They happen to just go and pray. Maybe they choose not to. They'll appreciate the flexibility to have the choice where it's not forced on them. A talk isn't forced down their throat. Where it's casual. And they may have never seen what it looks like to be around other Muslim friends their age who they're still American as apple pie. But when it's time for Asr namaz, even at a Warriors game, they still carve out the time to go and pray. They may have never seen that. And so just by being around it, they're in good company. You know, the Prophet gave us the example of the, 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 the person selling musk, perfume, cologne, this good scent. Just by being around them, you benefit. That's kind of, that's where we need to start. And I, I would suggest really focusing on that. Everything else is dominoes. They connect with, you know, the right friends. And then event, it could be six months later, it could be six years later. Hey, what, what are you doing this Friday? You know, I heard there's this new restaurant that opened up. Let's go for lunch. I'd love to go with you, but... I'll go for Jummah first, and then I'll meet you there afterwards. Oh, Jummah, where do you go for Jummah? Oh, I go here. I go to MCA. Oh, wow. Can, can I go with you? Eventually, that'll happen, inshallah. Eventually, they'll grab... Because the deen speaks for itself. The beauty of Islam speaks for itself. So just by being around that fragrance, around the right friends, and they see the generosity from the community, from the ummah, and they taste the sweetness of that, the sky is the limit, and uh, may Allah make it easy. It may seem so simple, but lives have many lives have been changed through that, and then eventually they get involved in the community, eventually they serve the community, eventually everything grows, but first we have to meet them where they're at, and may Allah make it easy, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Yes, sir. Assalamu alaikum. For this one. Okay. Sorry, can you please repeat the question in the mic so everyone can hear? So, um, what would be your advice to parents um, when your children are engaged on social media? Mm-hmm. How should they be more than happy? And how, how, how should a parent treat or uh, not to a child to just detect them from or sometimes from that's a make easy. That is a massive challenge. So the question, just to reiterate, how should parents navigate it if their kids are spending more time on social media than usual, or like more than you would want them to, or something along those lines? That's a very good question. I 
this, subhanAllah, this is a challenge that is very common. It is, uh, I would say, the reality is the norm, I think, across the board. So just, you're definitely not the only one. That Actually, the majority probably have some challenges uh, in relation to that. Allah knows best. I would say step one is in a friendly way to, to talk to them. It depends on their age. The older, they like between a, I mean, I hope an eight-year-old wouldn't be on social media anyways, but let's say they're a teenager and they're kind of really absorbed in that. And um, Ideally, there would be family time, family dinners, whatever, family quality time established. Is that a then? Okay. Established before that. So that way, as not if but when these challenges arise, um, to already have a type of relationship, hopefully pre-existing, so that way when there are challenges, then there can be communication. It can be discussed and there can be uh, a conversation because especially by the time they're, say, 14, 15, I mean, it, it's, it's not, especially in this culture, it has to be more of a horizontal approach. No doubt the parent is still the parent, the child's still the child, but there is wisdom in trying to have that dialogue with them because here's the thing, especially by that age, especially in this society, these times, if a parent were to tell them, don't do that, how far is that really going to go? So it's not about an authoritarian approach. Rather, it would be more about communicating, having a conversation with them. Hey, is everything okay at school? Sometimes, you know, unfortunately, I've come across a lot of cases of a lot of youth, especially in public school, dealing with bullying from third grade to sixth grade to male, female, because of their name, because of how they look, because of whatever. Um, it's a major, this is a major challenge. So, for example, maybe if someone's kid is struggling with bullying at school, maybe they're trying to self-medicate in a way and cope with a social media addiction, for example. Uh, so it would be best to approach things with wisdom, kindness, love, compassion. Just have a conversation. Hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? And this isn't just a one-time conversation, but there needs to be that genuine relationship cultivated. And then through that avenue to have that dialogue, they may not open up at first. Maybe over time to take them out. Hey, let's go eat at your favorite restaurant just to eat. And maybe you just talk casually and and then maybe they feel comfortable enough to open up and say that, you know, I've really been struggling with, with this, with that. It could be related to atheism. It could be whatever. There, there's just so much out there. So it would, Allah knows best, but it would be best to have that, that conversation with them and to explain to them that these are my concerns, you know, regarding the amount of time you're spending on social media um, and to explain to them why, because there has to be that understanding and then to see what they say and to see how can we meet in the middle, how can we kind of make this work together um, and hopefully to, to navigate through that together. I also think it's a separate conversation, but it is related to this, that it needs to become a norm in society, including within the Muslim community. Any taboo related to any type of therapy needs to disappear. In that type of situation, it may be beneficial for each parent, for the a parent, for the parents, depending on the dynamic, maybe themselves to meet with a therapist, to meet with a sincere Muslim therapist, and to explain to them that, hey, there's this issue, what would you recommend? And then they'll have insight on that. And then maybe, if depending on, on the dynamic, maybe the child 
maybe they're really struggling with depression and without realizing it, social media may be making it worse, which really, really takes a massive toll on a lot of youth, especially a lot of teenagers related to self-worth, related to self-esteem. I've literally seen youth in tears. I say this with all love and kindness, with no judgment whatsoever. I have literally seen youth in tears because they felt like they were not getting enough attention on social media. They weren't getting enough likes or views or whatever it may be. That's a real thing. That That's coming from their heart. It's overflowing you know, through their eyes, uh, through the means of tears. Maybe they would be open to, maybe they would be willing themselves, one-on-one without the parents there, maybe to speak with a therapist if they're open to that idea. It, there are so many variables, but conceptually there can be a lot of good to come from that from the parent meeting with the therapist one-on-one and talking about this challenge it's real maybe if the youth is is willing to meet also one-on-one maybe there can be a joint session where they're both willing to meet with the therapist to see how can we be guided through this together and there what i mentioned surah doha at the beginning it may seem impossible but there are ways inshallah for things to get better and for things to uh, improve. It may be a long journey, but inshallah, there are ways for things to uh, improve. Very good question, Jazakallah Khair, for uh, for mentioning that, and may Allah make it easy for anyone struggling with that. May Allah facilitate things and and protect our youth now and also for generations to come. It's 9:18, so I I want to see if <clears throat> there are any maybe last question, any questions on the sister side before we wrap up. I know Aisha is at uh, at 9:30. Are there any? Uh, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the first thing I wanted to say was uh, on the topic of social media, I think something to uh, recognize is that since it's kind of taking the world by storm and it's literally everywhere right now, one thing that might help is redirecting them towards social media that can be beneficial. So right. there's a lot, as much as there is, you know, as much as it is a curse, it's also a blessing, alhamdulillah. And I've mm-hmm. met a lot of people who really benefited from like the Islamic content or, you know, it, the sky's the map. Mm-hmm. I also had a question though. Um, you Very good point, by the way. There's a lot of good there too. Go ahead. Um, you mentioned attention. And I think one thing that I personally struggle with and a lot of people do is knowing your own attention because mm-hmm. when you work in a situation where it's easy like to kind of get your attention to stuff or you don't even really understand your own attention, obviously you want it to be well, so fine with the eye, but mm-hmm. it gets a little uh, gray there. So do you have any advice for it's a good question. I think our, our elders would <laughs> have the most experience in connection with this. It's a very profound question. I, to the, my limited experience, to the best of my understanding, it's, an, it's a lifelong thing, right? It's never, there's no arrival, right, to the promised land and, okay, now for sure, we, we have this, this beautiful balance going back to that passage of Prophet Ibrahim in Surah Baqarah. A few ayahs later, this is at the time when he and his son Ismail, they're building the Kaaba. And there, there are two wings to what they're asking Allah for. There's the hope and there's the fear. And both tie in with intention. On one hand, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا Allah accept it from us. And on the other hand, وَتُبَعَلَيْنَا And forgive us for any mistakes, any shortcomings. So there has to be this constant balance between hope and fear and they're constantly fluctuating and both going up and down. 
one thing that I that I will mention, this is for all of us, if we if we ever feel the motivation to do a good deed, and if we feel worry regarding our intention, that worry ideally would never prevent us from doing the good deed. So someone, if they're about to give sadaqah a huge amount, and they're about to give it, and no one is around, for example, and then uh, whatever, maybe in, in the masjid, one of the kiosks, whatever it may be, no one is there, and they're about to give X amount, and it's on the screen, and they're about to you know, hit send or submit, whatever. And then maybe someone is there, maybe someone is walking behind them. Whatever the case may be, the idea is, just say bismillah and do it. Just, you know, you do what you can, you hope Allah accepts it. We're never going to truly know if our intentions, our efforts, our words and actions, if they're accepted or not until we move on from this life. So it's a it's a 24-7 battle. It's constant. We just we try to do tesco, we try to purify as best we can and to try to remain humble. So if we're doing good, may Allah accept it from us. If you know if we make mistakes, may Allah forgive us. Intention largely is reflected in your humility, especially towards other people. So if someone if they're doing a lot of good deeds, whatever they are, maybe they pray in the masjid often, for example. And the only thing they get out of that is they look down on people not praying in the masjid, their intention must be messed up. Something's not right there. But if they pray in the masjid often, and the attitude they have towards people who may never pray in the masjid is, you know, may Allah make it easy for them to come to the masjid. Maybe I want to take them with me. How can I creatively find a positive way to inspire them to want to go to the masjid? That's a reflection of a good intention. What's the fruit that's coming from it? Is it sweet? Is it bitter? Um, so it's this, it's a dissertation, but uh, the idea is just constant, you know, step one, let me look within myself. If a person does that genuinely, then they'll realize that I have more than enough rust internally I need to polish. I don't have the luxury to look down on whoever may not be here. That's not my concern. I have my own work to put in. That's what I'm going to be asked about. Let me just try my best. Let me do what I can. And it's a constant evolution. It's a constant process. And I mean, everyone here is struggling with it. Anyone making claims otherwise is <laughs> it's just, it's not, uh, it's not going to be accurate. So may Allah make it easy for all of us. For the sake of time, it's 9.23. Uh, Aisha is at 9.30, so we can go ahead and, uh, and conclude things here. May Allah bless all of you for coming to the house of Allah on a Friday night. We ask Allah to protect our youth. We ask Allah to bless them. For those who are doing good, we ask Allah to accept it from them and for those who may be struggling with whatever mistakes like the rest of us they just may be sinning differently may Allah forgive us and them and gather all of us in paradise amin rabbil alameen subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa na ilaha illa anta nastafuruka wa natubu ilaka al-asr inna al-insana fi khusr illa al-ladhina amanu amanu salihat wa tawasab al-haqi wa tawasab al-sabr jazakum khair barakallahu fikum